Thanks to you, our listeners, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio is growing and is now available on more stations such as Facebook Video, Player.fm, iTunes, Verbal, and now on Amazon Audible. KRBN Internet News Talk Radio currently does not receive any funding to bring you these programs. However, we do ask that you hit that like button and tell your friends to help this station grow. And thank you again for your support. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, Westland County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Well, we've got a lot to talk about on the show today, because we kind of did a shortened show last week, and, and uh, you know, so just things build up, and geez, it was just a jam-packed board meeting yesterday, other stuff's going on, so so much to talk about. But I always like to talk about what you want to talk about before what I want to talk about. So if you call me at 646-721-9887 and just press 1 so we know you want to actually talk to me and not just calling in to listen, um, we'll have a conversation. And we'll talk about what you want to talk about. You can ask me a question. You can bring up a topic. You can just rant if that's what you're calling in for. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets me know you want to get in on the Bose Nose Show and uh, talk to us. If not, you know, we'll see you come up there and think you might be just listening to the show because we do have several people that call on their cell phones to listen because they're away from their computers. So all sorts of things at the board meeting yesterday to talk about and uh I just want to, you know, one of the first things we did in the board meeting was we made Juneteenth um, a paid holiday for our employees. And, you know, it's one of those things where I reluctantly voted to do it with the rest of the board. I knew the rest of the board was going to vote yes. Um, It's partly because we are dealing with a real competition for labor force right now in in everything from sheriff deputies to DAs to medical staff for clinics, uh, highly competitive workforce situations, and other jurisdictions get more paid holidays than Lane County does. So if we're going to add a holiday, you know, one that's celebrating um, slavery ending, at least in the state of Texas, um, was probably, you know, a place to go. I was kind of hoping to make it a floating holiday, but that ultimately settled on the actual day, um, partly because floating holidays get to be a mess for our HR staff to try and track whether people have used them or not (laughs) in it. So floating holidays, though, do make it a little bit easier for our 24-7 operations to not have to pay overtime. So that's why I was kind of going that direction. But Juneteenth is an interesting holiday, and it gives us an opportunity to understand history a little bit and how history can be misunderstood. 
a lot of people are under the misconception that June 19, 1865, was the day slavery ended in the United States because it was when the Union Army showed up in Galveston, Texas, to inform and enforce the folks in Texas that the Emancipation Proclamation meant that they had to free all the slaves in Texas. And it was the last state of the rebellious South for the Union Army to show up to. What people don't understand about the Emancipation Proclamation, which, you know, you could celebrate on a different day, except for it's already a holiday. It's January 1st, 1863, when President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. It was a wartime executive order. And it specifically freed the slaves in the states under active rebellion. There were a couple states that had slavery legal on their books that never actually went into active rebellion because the Union soldiers either showed up too quickly, like Maryland, Delaware, and, and a few others, um, and but still was on the books. Maryland eliminate, you know, capitulated and eliminated theirs, but June nineteenth was the last state that was under the Emancipation Proclamation to hear about it. But even on June 20th, 1865, slavery was still legal and practiced in the state of Kentucky and Delaware. And you don't think of Delaware as exactly being part of the Confederation. (laughs) So um, it was still legal there. And it was still practiced in other states, just turning a blind eye to it. California is one of those states where in order to get um, brought into the union, you know, made it illegal to hold slaves, but then didn't actually take slaves away from anybody and really didn't take any action. So slavery was occurring in California, as well as some northern states, even in New Jersey. They estimate there are up to 400 slaves still being held in New Jersey. Up until December 6, 1865, when the 13th Amendment was ratified, that's the official day slavery ended in the U.S. In all the states and territories that were under our Constitution. December 6, 1865. So it's kind of, it's interesting about Juneteenth is the freed people from Texas started, you know, moving across the South and they would celebrate Juneteenth every year. And that kind of became a Southern celebration of Freedom Day, as it was kind of referred to by some people and then later just referred to as Juneteenth. Um, but that and that celebration became a pretty uniquely African American um, celebration in this country, and is the traditional day for celebrating the end of slavery amongst that community that was enslaved. And I am not going to, for historic correctness, say, well, we really ought to be giving them December sixth off. <laughs> Juneteenth is now an official public holiday uh, for our employees, which also means county offices are going to be closed on June 19th every year. Um, So 
just one more day, you won't be able to submit a building permit. Um, so, you know, that was one of the other reasons why I was hoping to kind of go to a floating holiday because our, our offices would still be open and we could still service the public. But, um, you know, I kind of get that this particular day is very important um, to that community. But it does offer an opportunity just to kind of look at how history gets um, twisted in people's minds because they hear Juneteenth is the celebration of the end of slavery when it really was not. It's when it's celebrated that day traditionally, whether it was the exact day it actually ended, it's the celebration day. It's kind of like people argue that Jesus wasn't really born in December. It's like, it doesn't really matter at this point, December 25th is the day we celebrate. Okay. <laughs> Um, so, just, you know, what's interesting is calendars are kind of arbitrary in the first place. Why they established the first of the year in the Gregorian, you know, Roman calendars as being in the middle of winter rather than somewhere, you know, coinciding with the, the equinoxes or the solstice. Yeah. Arbitrary. <laughs> That's why I always kind of laugh when people all get all excited about, like, you know, when it was February 22nd, 2022, and, you know, it was all these, you know, twos and stuff like that. You know, it's like, that's such an arbitrary number. <laughs> it's so meaningless. You know, uh, just, uh, sorry, I digress. Um but that's enough about Juneteenth. Uh, I just, I really have about 10 other things I want to talk about. But again, I'll remind folks we are a call-in show, 646-721-9887. Just press one and get in on the conversation. I want to talk about our strategic plan. It was adopted where I actually voted no on this one because I felt it included things that weren't high priorities of our community based on community input that we went out and got while developing this version of the strategic plan, we kind of ignored it and, and went with what was the board's priorities, or I should say our current progressive majority's priorities, um, and uh, over what the citizens really care about. And it includes some things and I actually think are harmful to the county, like the, um, the community benefits bidding um, program and, and a desire to expand that into other aspects of Lane County's work. Um, yeah, we went out and, and did this survey work. And we asked a couple times for people to rank or, or, you know, what were the top issues for them. And in one case, we had people rank issues one through 10, you know, and gave them 10 issues to rank. Number one, with a combined score, you know, and 10 would be perfectly everybody voted for as the top issue. Um, and zero would be everybody voted for as the bottom issue. Affordable housing. Got a 6.12 score. The highest high score on the list. Community health and well-being. 
which, you know, think about every all the talk about mental health and addiction and everything else that's going on in our community and just coming out of the pandemic. 5.59, public safety and crime, 5.22. At that point, they dropped to 4.6 or lower. And the top one of the, the also-rans was parks and our ability to maintain parks and open space. The one that hit the bottom of the list, wildfire recovery. Second to the bottom of the list, equity and inclusion. What's one of the biggest things wrapped into our current strategic plan? Equity inclusion in all things we're doing. And climate change also rank low. Our strategic plan should be all about affordable housing, homelessness, mental health and addiction services, and public safety, because they all wrap around each other. I mean, things like having an efficient government ranked higher than some of these issues that they put into the, the strategic plan. Like community benefits bidding, that never came up from anybody. You know, there, it's in our plan to expand that, not only to bidding capital projects that cost more than $500,000, which I vote against, against that, um, because community benefits bidding is going to raise the cost of projects for Lane County taxpayers. Um, yeah, they, they want to wrap it into other things like just service contracts. So we have to get local people to provide consulting. Yeah, that, that may not always be the best person. And in fact, the people that we use to develop our strategic plan actually are national firms. It's not headquartered in Oregon because they were the best people for the job. At one point, we did, you know, do some local consulting work with somebody named Joe Bernie back in 2009, and the taxpayers paid him over $80,000 for nothing. There's a report with an audit attached to it I can point you to. Where Joe Bernie actually got paid to do some work on social justice and green energy. And the report he gave on one of those was considered insufficient. And the other, he never delivered a report, yet he got paid in full for all of it. And the audit basically noted that we probably lost local jobs because of this work. And we didn't do anything to reduce carbon footprint in Lane County based on the work that Mr. Bernie did. I just found out about that myself. Um, amazing stuff. Um, and what's really interesting is it's in the, you know, built in the strategic plan to try and restart the program that Commissioner Bernie, when he was just Joe Bernie, got paid money to do nothing about. <sighs> now you know why I voted no. Ignore public input, put in all your pet projects, and then call it a strategic plan. Dress it up a little bit, throw some fancy language in there, and uh, 
I'm sorry, I couldn't vote for it. It, it. And another reason I couldn't vote for it is they keep wanting to expand what county government is responsible for when we're having trouble doing what we are currently trying to do well. We are so far from an adequately functioning public safety system, an adequately functioning mental health provision. Why are we expanding into other areas? And, and the new strategic plan wants to go there. All of our climate strategies, et cetera, are all new territory that we have very little ability to have any real impact on as a county government. So it's not really a matter of county concern because that's truly what county government should be about. Local public safety, that's a matter of county concern. We run the jail. We run the DA's office. We run parole and probation. We run youth services that provides all that for youth. We are a major public safety cog in the whole public safety system as county government. As a, as a zoning provider and a regulatory agency, we can have impact on affordable housing through our mental health and public safety programs. We can have impact on homelessness, which was also rated very highly in a different portion of the, the, the community survey work. People, you know, housing just comes up as way at the top crime, economy, or, or really, you know, when it was asked in a little bit different. And then after that, they fell off the table. But we're kind of just, we're, we're going to, you know, virtue signal and get all involved in trying to divide humanity up into different categories, which is where you start misidentifying people. And we're going to try and you know, do things based on those artificial divisions of what humanity is. Ranked very low in the community survey as a concern for the county. So later on in the meeting, we, we got some pretty depressing news. We got phase two portion of a report we got phase one, which was like our four biggest parks um, and our deferred maintenance bill with that. We got phase two, which is another 13 parks, I believe, that they added to the list and went and did studies on. But they estimate our total deferred maintenance in our park system is about $25 million. So what that means is we put off maintenance that if we were to try and fix it all today and catch up, it would take $25 million to do that. Every year we put that off, those contracts inflate, and currently right now the CPI is at 8.5%, which I don't really believe it's that low. <laughs> and as things deteriorate, it actually becomes a bigger project to get them back to you know good and working conditions. So 
the actual size of the project gets bigger. So it's like this double inflation factor as you delay that. So it's a really um, big chunk to look at. Um, and our park systems, you know, everybody enjoys our parks, whether you're hiking to the top of Mount Pisgah, camping at Harbor Vista Campground over on the coast, or just getting out to the North Jetty to walk on the beach. Um, you know, or you're out, you know, camping at, at Fern Ridge at Richardson Park or enjoying the beach there. Um, people really like our parks, uh, and they are starting to deteriorate. And part of that's because um, we just don't have a lot of extra money in our budget. But the real question is, is the answer that, you know, most people are coming to is we have to pass a levy to fund this $25 million backlog, at least over, you know, and it's going to take quite a, you know, when you talk about doing it over a period of time, the number gets bigger. So you're probably looking at something that's going to have to raise, you know, somewhere more than, you know, five-year levy that's going to have to raise more than $5 million a year because at the end of the five years, some of the projects you're not getting to are going to cost more. So it might be six or seven million a year it's got to raise. Um, so it's a matter of taxing people. And property taxes equal housing costs. What was number one in that survey? Affordable housing. So I, I'm a little bit leery of constantly going to levies to fund things, particularly knowing that we have to renew the jail levy next year. And for me, you know, and I've made this well, I, I've said this publicly because we, it, you know, staff really would like us to run the parks levy in, in this fall. And then we'd be running the jail levy the following year. I'm worried that we are going to wear the voters out with property taxes. If if 4J and some other people haven't already done it for us, or the Lane Fire Authority, which that's a whole different topic about the, the decimal point problem. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, jail levy is so critical to the function of our jail services and our youth services. They would It would practically collapse if we don't renew it. If people remember before we passed that levy the first time, we were releasing measure 11 offenders. That's violent crime, including at one point people charged with murder out on the streets because we lacked capacity and they ranked the lowest on the risk scale because we do risk assessment, you know, and we do it a couple different ways to score somebody about how high a risk they would be if we release them. And when we do run into capacity issues, which we are constantly doing because, you know, the municipalities are constantly bringing people into us from all across the, the county, not just our sheriff's department, particularly Eugene brings in a lot of offenders. And we run up against capacity limits because we are limited by court order to a certain level of capacity and we have to release people so we use those risk assessment tools to make sure we're releasing the least risky people to endanger the community uh, 
And at one point, we had so few jail beds available because of lack of funding, we were releasing Measure 11 violent criminals. And, and at a couple points, it was actually people that had been accused of murder pending trial because they came out with the lowest risk scores, if you can believe that. That jail levy is critical. And then the second question is, is if we are going to use up the will of the voters to tax themselves and make their housing costs higher, what would you really want to put in front of the voters? Now, mind you, parts did come in number four, but community health and well-being came in pretty high. And on the other time where they asked the question a little bit differently, homelessness came in really high. Now, what's one of the biggest issues around community health and well-being, public safety that tie together? Mental health. So, you know, I love our parks, but do we use up the voters' goodwill over parks or do we try and maybe make a, a more inroads into providing adequate mental health services and addiction treatment in this county. Of course, I kind of feel that, that a lot of that really ought to be coming out of the state and federal level to some degree. But, you know, if we're going to try and really solve the problem, we might have to have some local skin in the game. My real answer to all that we ought to be cutting trees. We should be cutting trees in the ONC railroad land forest that BLM manages because that money comes directly into our general fund and is discretionary. And we can spend it on public safety. We can spend it on mental health programs. And if we have money left over, we can spend it on parks. There's nothing that says we can't. And at one point, if we were to take what was historically coming in from the ONC lands and inflate it in today's dollars, we'd have tens of millions of additional money to spend in our general fund. We're not harvesting anywhere close to sustained yield in those forests. I'd like to see us even get up to half a sustained yield, and it would generate tens of millions of dollars into Lane County's general fund. And we wouldn't have to ask taxpayers to, to tax themselves and raise their housing costs. While at the same time, that harvest would generate jobs and timber jobs are family wage jobs, high, you know, high salaries, usually with benefit, full benefits, they're good jobs. Solving a couple problems because economy was up there on one of the surveys too. Community health and well-being. Employed people attend, with health care tend to be healthier. You know, uh, so I, I, you know, I want to fix the parts. The engineer in me, you know, that that you know talks about infrastructure all the time and how when we're deferring our, our spending on infrastructure. We're going to pay sooner or later, <laughs> but I still have to also think about what's the priorities. When you can't park at a trailhead because your car is going to get broken into by some meth head, what good is the park? 
If there's no jail cell to put them in, there's no treatment available for them, what good is the park if you're not safe parking in the parking lot to use it? Priorities. Before I jump into my last issue, which is probably going to get my blood up even worse than some of these other ones that I had kind of in my mind for the day, I'm going to pause, take a deep breath, and remind folks we are a call-in show. And if you want to get into the Bose Nose Show, it's 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press 1 if you want to talk because that puts a little you know, hand-up icon on our board. And Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, will get you into the queue and we'll get you on the air and talk about what you want to talk about. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Yeah, we're going to get to that right now. Um, So there's been an issue that's been bubbling up for the last couple weeks because it just came to my attention, and apparently it just came to a couple residents' attention when they went to talk to our land management division and our planning folks about if they would be able to replace their home after it burnt down in what they call the impacted forest zone or F2 in Lane County. Now, since the early 90s, when they drafted some of the final legislation around this particular issue, it's been well understood that if you had an occupiable dwelling on your property and it burnt down in F2, you had the right to replace it. And they had some standards that they listed in the in the ORS that's repeated in, in the OAR and now R code too, about what a what is considered, you know, an existing occupiable dwelling. And it talks about having walls and roof and all that stuff. Now, once your house burns down, it doesn't have walls and a roof. And suddenly, recently, our staff has decided to interpret that as, well, your house burnt down. Now it doesn't have walls and a roof. You can't, you don't have a right to rebuild it. You have to start from zero and apply like you are going to put a new home on that parcel you own. Let's think in for a minute. Your home burns down, and in one case I'm I'm aware of, the home burnt down because mice chewed on a electrical cable running in the wall. Older homes, it was, you know, this property the home had been there since the, you know at least before the 70s um and the house burnt down the only thing left was the foundation and the chimney no walls no roof now they haven't been denied a permit because they haven't actually applied for one yet but when they went to talk to planning about you know the process planning warned them that they probably wouldn't be able to get a permit or if they did get issued one, it would be probably appealed and successfully appealed. Brand new interpretation of something we've been doing for 30 years. And I, I've i been pushing, where'd this come from? Why the change? Why, why did you suddenly decide to reread that statute in that way? And I, you know, if you read it very plain language and, and exactly the way they're trying to read it, 
I can get where staff's making that reading, but it's sort of ignoring some of the first parts of, of the statute that come before in the paragraphs before that, um, and ignoring the legislative intent behind the original ORS, which was to grant people the right to replace a dwelling that was habitable. And the test is about whether the dwelling was habitable before the need to replace it came about. Way back in the early 90s, people were trying to, to claim a right to build a house because like there was a standing stall shed you know, in the corner of a pasture somewhere. And that qualified as something they could replace with, with, a, with a residence. No, no, that was not ever the intent of the code. The intent was if you had a habitable dwelling and, and you know, that, that either pre-existed Senate Bill 100 or was built with a building permit at that time under the current codes, you would have replacement right and you wouldn't have to go under new codes and new interpretations. And I, I just, I got really frustrated yesterday with staff who initially said, well, their, their decisions were based on, on case law, and then the explanations they were giving weren't citing any case law. When I asked them, what's the case law that you were, that's been referenced about this, they couldn't give me the actual case law at, in the moment at the meeting. I was like, it was infuriating because a week before that, I'd been exchanging emails where they said they were consulting the legal counsel and, and they'd come to this determination and all that stuff. If you've been doing all this consulting stuff, you should have been able to reel off the legal, you know, justification for the change in interpretation in the, in the moment at that meeting. It's frustrating because we need to build over 16,000 homes in Lane County over the next five years. We also had a report on our on our housing strategies um, earlier in the day, where they reconfirmed the number that I've been banging on. 16,403 homes is what they estimate we need over the next five years. We've never built at that level of building for five straight years in this county. Our highest year was last year, and and we didn't even build half of what we would need to build in a, in a year, or just about half. It's a massive increase, yet we're, we're putting barriers up to just replacing a home, so there's going to be one more home. It's going to be 16,404 16, homes we need instead of 403, because you're telling this person he can't replace the home that burnt down, changing the way you're reading a statute after 30-some years? I don't get it. And it's infuriating to me. I was told by another gentleman that wants to put in a, an accessory dwelling unit on his RR zone property that can't yet because the state hasn't adopted their wildfire risk map that is required before we can adopt our ADU um, code for RR. Um, 
He wanted to put up an ADU because the Sayusaw School District lost somewhere around a dozen teachers over the last year because they couldn't find housing. This whole housing thing, number one, remember that, number one, is impacting our ability to even educate our children because the teachers can't find housing that we want to hire to educate our children. And we're finding ways to not approve housing. We should be looking at every way to get the yes and damn the fact that Landwatch might appeal it. Let them be the heavy. We need every housing unit we can get if we're ever going to have any chance of bringing down our housing costs. Commissioner Trieger in yesterday's board meeting talked about a house down the street for her and how much it's sold for over the years. And she lives in a really modest neighborhood of 1970s ranchers in the 1,000 to 1,200 square foot range. You know, not a big house, small lots. The house sold for almost a half million dollars, I believe she was saying. There is no such thing as entry-level housing left in Eugene and Lane County. Occupancy rate for rentals right now in Lane County is one and a half percent. Three percent is considered fully occupied because that kind of allows for a little bit of turnover of units. People that move in and out have something available to move into. One and a half percent is basically we're sold out. You go on waiting lists, you pay fees just to apply. We have to get every front door, whether it's an apartment, a townhome, a cottage in somebody's backyard, forest dwelling that's replacing one that burnt down. We need every housing unit we can to be built and maintained in Lane County to do anything to make change in this this horrible picture that where we've, we've underbuilt our housing, over-restricted, you know, our ability to develop new housing with regulations in this state. And we're driving up the cost in other ways. I talked about our climate action plan, which I also voted against because it includes basically encouraging a natural gas ban. Natural gas is the cheaper alternative to heat a home right now and to heat hot water. You take away that choice, housing costs go up. (sighs) Everything we do at the county, we should be asking ourselves the question, is this gonna make housing more expensive for people? because people are being priced out. And businesses can't survive if they can't hire people because they can't find housing. Say Peace Health, they cannot find housing for traveling nurses, which is the way they're having to make up for the lack of of nursing graduating from inside. Uh, our, our state, we have a huge shortage of nurses. 
But when they do hire them in here, they can't find housing for them, let alone if they hire a new doctor. I'm, I'm aware that Peace Harbor down in Florence has had staff leave because they couldn't find housing. Staff being paid medical wages. Those are not people that are, are low on the income scale and they can't find housing. You understand why I'm just a little frustrated by the fact that we're finding new reasons to not allow people to build housing, that the state's taking forever to adopt their wildfire risk maps so we can do ADUs out in Lane County. I will, I, I have to give kudos here. Monday night was a public hearing for the city of Springfield's code update, which is also about putting in their middle housing standards that were required by the legislature under House Bill 2001. And they're managing to do it almost uncontroversially. And um, they're also, um, sorry, I'm hearing noise in the background, <laughs> and poodles. Uh, they're doing it almost uncontroversially, unlike the city of Eugene, with community support. Oh my goodness. I hope that's not too loud, but I'll try and talk through it. Um, and they also have the ability in their code update, they are trying to streamline their permit process and make it easier for people to get projects through the permit process and under construction. That's what we ought to be doing all over this county. Kudos. City of Springfield, kudos for being the first ones to adopt a decent ADU standard and to make it easier to build them by waiving SDCs. You know, you, you know I don't know if you heard about the, the hearing that, that City of Eugene had on their middle housing, but it was riotous almost. You know, people are really upset because they don't want, you know, four-story, three-story buildings, you know, looking down in their backyards, or, you know, the city's not really going to have much of a parking requirement, so people are worried about, you know, having their streets parked up and everything. So it's, I don't know what the city of Eugene did wrong, but the city of Springfield, we had a handful of people testify about the code, and it was mostly just to give suggestions to make it a little bit better. Not in opposition to passing it, not, you know, hair on fire, you're going to ruin everything. So, good job, Springfield. Mayor Van Gordon and, and city council and staff there at, at Springfield, Mark Rust and company, you're doing a great job there. Um, we need to do the same thing with the Lane County Code. We don't, we're not required to do the middle housing thing because we don't have any urban areas that we manage. But we need to go through and make it easier for people to get permits and do some streamlining and look for where there are regulatory barriers. And I've proposed us doing that, and 
we are actually going to hopefully start the process, process next week um, at a work session that I asked the, the county to um, have about um, housing and strategies to make it easier. So we'll see if we get there. Um, well, whatever was upsetting the poodles must be gone because here they are. For those of you watching on Facebook Live, poodles and talking Piper. <laughs> uh, distractions while you're trying to do a radio show. But, you know, that Springfield, it always amazes me how practical Springfield can be <laughs> and how ahead of the curve they can be. As much as Eugene claims to be progressive and avant-garde and everything, Springfield adopted ADUs faster. They're probably going to get their middle housing done ahead of ahead of Eugene. They readopted their urban growth boundary way ahead of Eugene after um, uh, legislation required them to separate their urban growth boundary from Eugene. You know, they, they just bang, 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 bang. They get it done. Go Springfield, go. By the way, have you been in downtown Springfield recently on Main Street? Might have seen a few ads for this guy named David Lovell um, running for county commissioner. No, he's not the one that got paid for not producing a report. He's not the one that voted for a raise after he ran for commissioner saying he was going to roll back a previous raise that he never did and then voted for another one. No, David's the good guy running in Springfield and David's part of that whole Springfield Main Street rebirth. Um, so as you look for how communities that are getting it done, Springfield's getting it done. And uh, we need people like David Lovell on the board of commissioners because he knows how to work with people, get them together and say, okay, how do we get this done? Not, don't tell me why I can't do it. <laughs> So um, throwing some pretty big red meat out there from from climate change and diversity, equity, inclusion stuff in the strategic plan to, you know, parks maintenance and jail levies and um, all sorts of stuff, Juneteenth and new holidays for public employees. Um, or unless there's something else maybe you want to talk about, and there's a subject I forgot to cover. It's 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets me know you want to get in on the Bose Nose Show. If you don't call, I'll start talking about other things, particularly if the poodles don't derail my train of thought here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Robin's always got something up her sleeve for me. <laughs> It'll make me smile sometimes. Um, you know, crazy season. And today's the last, I think, or was it yesterday, was the last day to change your voter registration if you wanted to vote in a partisan primary or, or switch parties or whatever that stuff is. Um, but I did get my voter's pamphlet. And I'm always kind of surprised when I start reading some of my fellow commissioners' voter statements. 
because they seem to take credit for things they weren't involved in and make things sound like they did things that they really didn't do. You know, um, you know, I love people that talk about working to um, limit the impacts of the Holiday Farm Fire when they voted for a floodplain ordinance that was actually going to cause Holiday Farm Fire people trouble in rebuilding. And they waited seven months to waive permit fees. Most other counties waive their permit fees within seven weeks. And once House Bill 2289 was passed, it actually waived that whole floodplain ordinance thing for people that were fire damaged. They still waited almost a whole nother month to implement it, even though it had an emergency clause and the moment the governor signed it, it was in force. It took well over six weeks for us to actually implement that in Lane County. They both worked hard on, on fire recovery. And they love to take credit for the new deputies that we got. One's even claiming that it was his proposal. I'm sorry, but I believe it was the sheriff's proposal. Might have made might have been the one that actually beat me to the punch and made the motion in the board meeting, but that wasn't your proposal. It was already written and worked out between the sheriff and the public works director and the county administrator to use that, that money coming in from forest, federal forest timber replacement money that the Association of ONC Counties, which you all voted not to be a member of, managed to lobby Congress to stick into the infrastructure bill. That increased amount was what allowed us to pay for those deputies. You stayed, you've kept us for three years out of that association that got the money. The sheriff made the proposal to use that money to pay for the deputies. And then you all take credit for it. There seems to be this whole integrity thing. I've talked about this so much, whether it was using executive sessions to make decisions about vaccine mandates for employees last fall, or the botched attempt to fire our county council, which ended up costing the county $200,000. Thank you, Heather Buck, for that one. But that botched attempt, which I kind of wonder if, you know, Joe kind of let that go on uh, for a while because, yeah, it was Steve Dingle that was involved in trying to get him to um, produce whatever reports that when they were auditing that um, grant that paid Joe the money that he never produced the report for. There's history there between Commissioner Bernie and our county council before he was ever elected. Wonder if that might have been payback, the attempt to boot him. And then going to City Club in Springfield when you were running against Sid Lichen and claiming that you were going to rescind the pay raise that Sid, Sid approved 
over my no vote, by the way. It was a very small pay raise. It was 2% COLA. But you were going to rescind that once you got in office. Haven't heard a peep out of you about rescinding that pay raise in the three-plus three years you've been in office, Joe. Yet, here it is this year in January, you vote for another pay raise. Where's the integrity? You and Heather have a former paid political consultant that you guys paid $100,000 or a plus to when you were running for commissioner the first time back in 2018. You end up with him on your, quote, independent redistricting committee, and he's the one that's actually drafting most of the maps. No conflict of interest there. Nothing to see here. Integrity. We have to start demanding integrity from our public officials. If they had integrity, that strategic plan would follow what the community wants. Why go out and ask the community for input if you're not going to pay attention to it? Transparency, integrity has to be a number one principle for anyone that's serving public office. Well, we have five minutes left in the Bose Nose Show. And I'll just remind folks, you know, you can jump in here if you want to talk about any of these issues. 646-721-9887. Don't forget to press 1. And uh, we'll get you on the air here right away. 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get in on the show here with your West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. Um, yeah, it, integrity is so important. Um, and I just, you know, I, I saw something a little piece of an ad for um, Commissioner Heather Buck for her reelection campaign. And she's kind of taking credit for the MLK Commons project. It was almost complete construction when she took office. All the planning, all the financing, all the, the early studies uh, that were done to prove the concept started years ago under the previous board majority before the progressives took over, it was our project. But she's touting it now. You know, taking credit for things that you really didn't do, you know, tooting your horn over unsuccessful things, talking about fire recovery, we're way behind Marion County in the percentage of building permits issued for burned down fires you know, on the Labor Day fire. So I, I don't know why we're doing, you know, claiming to have done such a great job there. While at the same time, you're voting for things that would limit housing, the floodplain ordinance. 
you're voting to take away choice and, and really make some not carbon friendly decisions in the climate action plan. They have, you know, and just the virtue signaling that goes on is just incredible that waste taxpayer money. Passing things like a declaration of a um, public health emergency on racism. It didn't do anything. No new staff were hired, no funds were transferred, no new emergency laws were put in place. You know, it, it just was, I'm, it made you feel good because you made that declaration. We're doing more in our Public Safety Coordinating Council through the Justice Reinvestment Act grants to track and, and figure out where we're having disproportionate contact and, and, and disproportionate outcomes based on various demographics um, and trying to fix those with innovative programs uh, than that stupid declaration ever did. And that has nothing, and that has absolutely nothing to do with the progressive majority. I'm the one that sits on that committee. I'm the vice chair of the, the Public Safety Coordinating Council. Ah, I'm hearing music, though. Means Robin probably wants to get out of here. Well, thank you for listening to this edition of the Bose Nose Show. I'll try and be more cheerful next week. But we'll be back next week at 4 o'clock coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Have a great week.